the fear gets in your way. It locks you up. So, well, how do you get fearless? How do you get to that point where you're completely confident in what you're doing? Well, one way is to practice, 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 you know, make it make 10 years of it, 20 years of it, right? And you build that confidence very slowly over years of, of playing it. You are getting rid of the fear. It's the fear that is the problem, you see. Now, there's another way to approach it that doesn't necessarily take 20 years. Today's guest is Tom Campbell. He is the author of My Big Toe Trilogy. It unifies science, philosophy, physics, metaphysics, mind, and matter. He is a former NASA physicist. In today's podcast, we talk about time travel, AI, meditation, how to change your life through your attitude, and a whole ton more. We already did a podcast with Tom. It is an epic two-hour banger. It gives you the entire background and history of his theory. Make sure to check it out and enjoy the podcast. The way of Will John. Guys, what's happening? We have Tom Campbell back again. It's good to do this again because the last one is a great, it's kind of like a, uh, like a master class. That's what I want to, every time I sit down and watch you, it feels like a master class because I feel like I need notes. I feel like I need to, to figure out all this stuff. I'm very focused when I, when I watch you. So I appreciate you taking the time to do this. How's it going? It's going just fine, Will. Okay. Um, been a good day so far. Okay. I, I like to hear that. I like to hear that. So for the people who don't know who you are, uh, some people obviously were going to have, have seen the, the other podcasts and, and know you from all the stuff all over the internet. Why don't you tell everybody who, who you are and what you're about? Okay. Name is Tom Campbell. I'm a physicist and I'm also a consciousness researcher. And I guess what uh, makes me special enough to uh, be on your broadcast, Will, is that uh, after studying consciousness for about 35 years, I thought I knew enough about it to actually explain it to somebody else. And I published three books called My Big Toe. And the my uh, in My Big Toe isn't because I'm so proud of it. It's not that it's my big toe. It's that this is subjective experience. Consciousness is a subjective experience. So this is my experience. And I don't want other people to think that my experience is somehow better than their experience. You know, their experience is what they have to work with. And uh, trying to copy my experience is just going to make you frustrated. So I just say my big toe because you have to have your own big toe and your own experience. You can't copy mine. So that's it's a big toe. Well, I guess I ought to start with toe. Toe is theory of everything. And that was a, that's a physics term created, I think, by Albert Einstein, who wanted to create a toe that would explain both quantum physics and relativity, all with one over, you know, arching understanding. Because as it is, relativity and quantum physics are incompatible with each other they both have an assumption that the other one you know that, that an assumption that must be true that the other one denies is true so they're a little bit crossways with each other in the theory and he wanted to to in you know, i mean that indicates that there's something bigger than those two physics you know than the quantum physics and relativity there's something above them that would explain them both and that's what he called the theory of everything but that was just a little toe because it was all about physics. Mine's a big toe 
because it really is about everything, including the subjective world, not only the objective world, which was Einstein's, but the subjective world as well. And it uh, not only explains Einstein's little toe, but it, it gives a an objective scientific understanding of the subjective world, which is kind of a, a, a new thing. And basically it, ha it worked like this. Uh, I'm a physicist, you know, what's a nice physicist like me doing in a place like consciousness studies, but I just happened to be at the right place at the right time to run into Bob Monroe and to uh, have him teach me things about consciousness. And I had my physicists doubts all along that, you know, is this real? Is, you know, can this be science? Is this real? Or is this just tricks, tricks of the brain? So I spent about 35 years thinking about it, studying it and doing research in the non-physical. In other words, doing things inside of the world of consciousness and seeing how they affected the physical world and then trying to figure out, you know, how could I, is this repeatable? Can anybody do it? Uh, you know, what, how do the results make sense? And what's a theory that explains how these things work? Well, so I took all the things I knew about the world from my physics, all the objective reality, and I took all the things I'd learned from consciousness and tried to come up with a model, a single overarching understanding that answered all of it, answered all the facts I'd learned about consciousness, all the facts I knew about physics, and come up with that understanding. And I did that. And what surprised me more than anything, I wasn't expecting this, but I got surprised that I had that understanding. I could derive physics from that understanding. And I could solve physics problems like why should particles best be modeled as probability distributions, which is the way quantum physics works. And why should the speed of light be a constant, which is the way relativity works. And a lot of other why shoulds, like why should there be three or four numbers that if you change them in the, these are numbers describing the universe, you know, like gravity, you know, the gravitation, sure. that's, that's one of them. And that mm -hmm. if you changed any one of them in the ninth decimal place, the whole universe would have collapsed. You know, it, it wouldn't be stable. It wouldn't be here. And physicists call that the anthropic principle. And what it, the, the big paradox is that how come these, say, five numbers all are tuned to each other to nine decimal places? And if any one of them changed, the whole universe wouldn't be here. You see, now, how is that, that these numbers all get to be tuned like that? If it's just a random thing that we evolve, then it's hard to come up with five numbers that are tuned to each other to, you know, to nine decimal places out of randomness. So that kind of kicks randomness in the head and says, well, it looks like a plan. You know, it looks like this universe was built for us. And that's why they call it the anthropic you know, principle. So it's a big mystery in physics. And there's a lot of other mysteries in science. In biology, for instance, there's a, a moth that only took about 20 years in order to go from a white moth to a black moth when it got uh, off a ship as a white moth from a place that had a lot of white sand. And it ended up in Britain, which at that time was in the, you know, the early days of the industrial empire. And it was full of smoke 
smokestacks and, and black, and the moth actually turned color so that it would blend in better. Now, biologists find that remarkable because if you look at all the, the details of biology that would have had to happen by chance in order to produce a black moth, it should have taken more like, uh, you know, 100,000 years because there's just lots and lots of possibilities. If you look at all the chromosomes and how they match and how the color gets expressed and all of the rest of the, you know, the, the DNA and, and the genetics, well, there's, you know, about a trillion, trillion different ways that can work out. And just randomly, it's going to take a long time before they just happen to hit on all black and bingo, the moth survives. So um, it happened very quickly, 20 some years and Crazy. you had this and it just so that's another in biology. That's a paradox. You, they don't know exactly how that works. And there's lots of these paradoxes running through science. And this model of mine, this this theory of everything actually answers all of those paradoxes and gives them very solid, logical uh, solutions. And it does that through all the sciences. So okay. that's what I got. It's a, it's a theory of everything. And the theory of the subjective world actually will tell you if you're, say, depressed, it'll tell you why and give you a logical understanding of where that depression comes from. So it's it's that sort of thing. It uh, explains everything. So everything. <laughs> so we're open, and, you know. You know, it's like ask yeah. me anything, right? It's uh, I, that's probably one of the things that I find most intriguing about a consciousness research. Uh, B the fact that you know we live in a world that is steeped in uh, materialist uh, science and the materialist worldview, uh, and because of that. Obviously, me not being a science, I did study biology in college. Of course, uh, we talk about this all the time. I always joke that I'm a college dropout because I, I, I left to go play pro. Um, but that being the case, it does very much seem that the scientific world, the mainstream science, has you know dismissed a whole lot of the uh, of the things that you've gone into, uh, a lot of the consciousness research, or at least labeled it to the side and assuming that it's either a product of the brain uh, or that it's not necessarily, um, you know, relevant to the search for reality, that there's somehow not a connection between our consciousness and reality in the sense uh, that, um, you know, the current worldview is that the brain produces, right, consciousness and everything stems mm -hmm. from that and it's electric and, you know, the synapses fire and poof, we have, we have life. And so one of the things I find most interesting that I, I love about uh, consciousness research and the search is that each person has an, an ability to delve into this deeper um, you know, using the tools that they are simply just born with. And there's uh, practices, ways, and, and, and many, many, many cultures that have tried to tell us or put an understanding or had a focal point with consciousness at the center of it. Uh, and that was for them a way to navigate the world and perceive the world. Mm -hmm. And so there's a lot that I want to get into with that. But I, I guess, you know, maybe one of the easiest places to start is, uh, what is that like? How, how does one do that? I mean, there's going to be people that are going to watch this and they're going to be very curious on how you're a consciousness researcher. Excuse me. And, and how can I become a consciousness researcher? Or how did you do it and what did you learn, you know, more specifically? 
Okay, well, when I first, um, well, actually, when I was a graduate student uh, working on my PhD, um, I had learned how to meditate from uh, with $25 and a banana. I got a mantra from Transcendental Meditation uh, Organization. It was a special for students. I think it costs a lot more than that now, but that was a long, long sure. time ago. Yeah. And uh, anyway, uh, I learned to meditate and I found it easy. It was a, I was a natural for it. And I found out that I could debug my software with my mind. In my mind, I could bring up a printout of my software and I could find all the lines that had errors in them. You know, why my why the software wasn't running properly and I could find those errors. And that I thought was really cool, but I didn't really expect it to be really the errors. I figured it was just me, you know, making it could, up. Could I, but, sorry to interrupt, but could I, is that in what state were you in when this is a dream no, state or a, a meditation a, state? Meditative just state. A, okay. Just a trans, just a transcendental meditation. I just wanted okay. to, you know, I said my mantra and I go into a meditation state and just for fun, because those bugs in my software were bothering me and you know, I was trying, so it was right on the front of my mind. So I was just thinking about them and, okay, I got this thing in meditation that said, hey, here's your lines of code that are that have a problem. And I knew every line of code because I'd written it. So I, I was familiar with each line. And when I checked it out, it was right on. Those lines that had popped out to me as errors all had errors in them. And my code would run when I fixed those. And I continued to use that then as a tool. And I was totally amazed by it and flabbergasted by it because as a, as a scientist, my thought was, you know, I was a materialist too. And most materialists have this thing called an operational definition of reality. And that is, if you can't measure it, if you can't interact with it, then it doesn't exist. Or if it does exist, it's irrelevant. You know, if you can't interact with it, then, you know, what good is it? It's, it's not there. So that's, a, that's the typical materialist viewpoint of reality. But yet here I am debugging code in my mind and some of these debugs aren't just that that was came out of my subconscious because some of these debugs were things like the key punch had punched the hole off center this is back in a bad old days of computing when there were punch cards and sometimes the error wasn't anything you did it was the punch you know the punch machine would punch the hole just a you know half a millimeter you know off center and the computer wouldn't read it so it was things like that. So it couldn't have come out of my subconscious mind somehow. I knew I had left that semicolon off the end of the, you know, the code line or something. It, uh, it was just information that I just couldn't know. And yet somehow I did. So that opened up my mind to them, there being more to this reality than just what you could measure. There was another, there's other dimensions and other things. So then when I met Bob Monroe, I was all about, oh, an opportunity to learn something here from this guy. And I spent some time with him, that almost a decade. I spent with him uh, working like, like 15, 20 hours a week. And eventually, he showed me how to do things called out-of-body, which is where your, your mind is, a, is aware. Now, also, that's very similar to a thing called lucid dreaming, which is where you get in a dream state. And then you kind of wake up in the dream state to where your your awareness now is in charge. The dream isn't just running on by itself, but you do what you intend to do 
there. It's called a lucid dream. And there were other things, um, you know, um, uh, remote viewing, um, healing, communicating with other people, mind to mind, telepathy, that kind of thing. So we played and practiced at all these things until there was this huge amount of, of information and data and experience that I had that said, you know, this stuff's real. And you can't just throw it out because it's weird. It's real stuff, and there need, there is some explanation for it because it's not random. You do things certain ways, and it works. You do them different ways, and it doesn't work. You know, it's it's not a random thing. So I made it my job to understand how does it work, why does it work, what can you do, what can't you do, and why can't you do it, you know, and why can you do it, and just understand the whole thing. So if other people are interested in learning this, um, you can start with meditation. That's one, that's kind of the classical way to get into, uh, you know, getting to know your mind, getting to know your consciousness. Uh, so meditation is probably a good way to start. Another thing is I've got a, uh, an audio program that you can get and you can put it down later. I can tell you how to get that kind of stuff, but there's an audio program and it's not very expensive and it gives you a complete training course, if you will, on doing these kinds of things with your mind, on the remote viewing, the telecommunications, uh, out of body, that kind of stuff. And it explains how to do it and, you know, the, the right sort of ways to approach it and the attitudes that are required and on and on and on. So that would be, if anybody really wants to experience it, that would be the thing. And the reason I created this program is because the very reason I said, this is my big toe. It's not your experience. It's mine. And a lot of the people said, all right, okay, but help me get that experience. <laughs> How do I make it my experience? Exactly. So I said, yeah, well, okay, you got me there. I, I should help you do that. So I, I ended up with this training, with this training course that helps people do that. And yes, this does have a big impact on athletes. You know, we can bring in okay. our athletics. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Is a core thing. Yeah, and, I would. They, this, they would. They would love to. How how it could benefit them. What they could do with it. I mean, I've yeah. heard stories of things like people lucid dreaming. I've lucid dreamed. I've trained in a lucid dream before, but you know, a, a bit random at times. How could this course kind of lead someone down that road? Well, what it does is that you know, when you practice as an athlete, you practice and you practice and you practice and you practice, right? And what that practice does is it not only builds up the muscles and skill level that you that you need, but more importantly, it builds up confidence. When you practice and you get better and better at something, and pretty soon you're just about the same as everybody, and then you're better than most people, and then it's just you and the best people play with each other because you know all of you are are really good, and then you progress and become even better amongst that group, and it has to do with confidence more than anything else. When you go into a game to play or whatever your athletic thing is, maybe not at the game, maybe it's throwing a javelin or, you know, lifting weights or something. But when you, when you go to do something like that, if you are confident, if you are solid, if your mind knows that you're not only going to do it, but you're going to do it really, really well, and you don't have any anxiety you know, like performance anxiety. Am I going to do this well? 
I hope so. I really need to do this well. You know, if you've got that kind of performance anxiety, you're not going to do it well because that anxiety will get in your way. You won't be smooth. You won't be strong. You won't be precise. And it doesn't have to be athletic. You know, if you're standing up in front of an audience, you know, and you have to sing a song or you have to, uh, you know, you're, you're, you're doing something that's trying to solve a real hard problem. It's the same thing. If you're relaxed, if you're confident, you're very confident, then you're better because the fear, the fear of not, you know, when you're not confident, you're fearful. You, you don't know whether you're going to do it or not, or whether it's going to work out or not, or how you're going to do and, and that sort of thing. When you're in that mindset, you make a lot of mistakes. The fear gets in your way. It locks you up. So, well, how do you get fearless? How do you get to that point where you're completely confident in what you're doing? Well, one way is to practice, 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 you know, make it make 10 years of it, 20 years of it, right? You've been playing soccer since you were, you know, six years old and you just get to the point that, that you feel really confident and you build that confidence very slowly over years of, of playing it. Uh, all you're doing is you're you are getting rid of the fear. It's the fear that is the problem, you see. Now, there's another way to approach it that doesn't necessarily take 20 years. And that I mean you still have to build up the muscle and the and the memory and the skill that's necessary, but you know almost anybody can do that. You know, if you take take the Olympic people, you know, what's the difference between the guy that gets a gold medal and the guy that doesn't get any medals at all? Well, they both have been doing it for years. They both have skill. They, they all know how to swim or run or jump or whatever it is they're doing. They're all excellent at it. Okay, so why does the one guy win? Well, the guy that wins is the guy whose mind is together and he doesn't have any fear. He has confidence so he doesn't make any mistakes and everything flows perfectly. That's the guy that wins. You know, it's the, that's the difference. Most athletes will tell you it's a, it's a mental game more than it is anything else. When you're not together mentally, you just don't play well. So another way to get to that same spot is start with the meditation and, and learn that it's not about the win, actually. It's about doing your best. It's about being hundred percent present in what you're being, you know, what you're doing, not just 80% or 90% with your mind jumping around on a few other things, but hundred percent present on what you're doing. That takes focus. That focus is basically mental discipline and you get mental discipline after, you know, 10, 20 years of doing something, but you can get mental discipline also through meditation, through learning about your consciousness. So you can develop that that um, attitude, that winner's attitude, that gold medal attitude, by coming down the, the mind, dealing with your consciousness and your mind, not necessarily from doing 10, 20 years worth of work. In other words, you get there a lot quicker. Well, you still have all the skills. You still have to practice. It's not like you can skip practice, you know, if you meditate. You still got to put in the time, you know, to learn and get the skill and and uh, that sort of thing has to be done. But most really professional athletes have that already together. I mean, that's what makes them professional athletes. They have the skill. They have they understand the game and they have 
they have the skills to do it. What makes the superlative athlete is that he's got no fear. He's confident. He's, he's totally focused on what he's doing. He's 100% in the flow of the game. And when you're in the flow of the game like that, you know, you can anticipate things. You know where that ball's going or where that next thing that's going to happen. You know that guy's going to do what he does because you're in touch at a little higher level than just the physical world. You're connecting with the, the probabilities in play as well as the facts in play. Because once you're in that calm state, the probabilities in play, you have access to that. You don't have access to it otherwise. So you start to anticipate things and you know what's going to happen and you know how that that's, you know, the next three seconds or five seconds, what's going to go on. And when you do, you know how to deal with it, get around it, get over it, get through it, you know, because you already know that that person's going to zig and you're going to zag and you're going to get right by him because you've anticipated what's going to happen. Now, the clearer your mind is and the more solid you are, the more that, anticip in, that anticipation is dead on. It's right. The, mo the more uh, confidence you have, the more that, that uh, anticipation is dead on. So you can get that confidence by disciplining your mind, understanding what you're doing, and you don't go, you can kind of put yourself in that state where you're in game state. You know, and from there on, you know, and it just flows. And you know, when you're in those kind of spots, you play good games and you play bad games. No doubt. Everybody, everybody has. And when you're in that good game where just everything flows, you just seem to know what to do. And, and it's just all the choices and guesses you make, they all just turn out right and everything works. And that is when your mind is focused on what's going on and your mind has the discipline to connect to the, the, those probabilities so you can anticipate what's going to happen next. So this, you know, this, this mental state, it's about everything. You know, a theory of everything means, you know, soccer something. It's, it's part of that everything. And it does say, you know, what, what is it that makes that special player that just seems to get everything right on a particular day? What's different about him? And what's different is his mental state. That's what's different about him. It's not that his training suddenly got better or his understanding of the game got better. No, that's not it. It's his mind clicked into place and he was focused. So you can practice that through the meditation through understanding mind and get there much more solidly to where you like that almost every game. Well, sometimes stuff goes on in your life and it gets in your way and you don't focus quite as well. And you still have to be good. But there's a difference between being really good and being awesome, right? And when you're awesome, it's just everything flows just perfectly. That's that's a mind, the mental state. That's that is not a training. Not it's not suddenly your training gets better. It's not suddenly your understanding of the game gets better. What changes is your your attitude, your mind, and what, what 
what actually is happening is you're letting go of fear. You're letting go of all those things going on in your mind that aren't playing that game. I, I'm tempted because I don't, I don't want to go too um, I don't want to go too long into the intellect question because I have some I have some fringe questions that I really really want to get your understanding on. But if you could give me a, just a small, maybe a small glimpse or understanding of the intellect is still a necessary thing for us, right? I mean, uh, and, and it's useful and it helps with skepticism and it helps us trying to figure out what works and why and et cetera. Exactly. So, what, uh, so am I supposed to use the intellect as a tool, you're yes. saying, and let the clarity of my mind, the other part that's dealing with this part that we don't yet have good words for, to guide me and use the intellect to kind of adjust, right? Rather than the way we have the world now, intellect knows everything. I should be able to solve this with my, you know, brute force. Mm -hmm. uh, is, is that the way we're supposed to that, be viewing intellect? Because I, yes, it, that, that it, is the way it, it seems it like works. Okay. Yeah. Right now, we, we're very intellectually dominant. Okay? And that means that, you know, we live through our, our heads. We, we solve all our, our problems with our intellect. We come to, we look at all the variables that we understand and we go to solve it. But the problem is that doesn't work because in order to logically solve a problem, you need a lot of information. But if you have a problem like, should I marry Sally or should I marry Susie? Uh, your intellect just isn't going to do you any good there because what you need is a crystal ball that can look at the next 30 years. <laughs> That's what you need, you know, and you just don't have that kind of information. So what happens is our intellect is guessing most of the time because it doesn't have enough information. But now you get something simple like, uh, where are my glasses? Where are my car keys? Uh, you know, am I supposed to pick my uh, wife up uh, tonight at 6 o'clock or 6.30? Okay, now these are things that your intellect is good at. You know, it, it can do these things. Now, your intellect should be giving direction. So it's your intellect that says, maybe I should learn to meditate. That's your intellect. Mm -hmm. Okay, it gives you direction. It helps focus you in, a, in where it is you want to go. But when you get to the actually performance, when you get to the actually doing, then you need to shift into the intuitive side. So let's use that typing example. When you decide who you want to write and what you want to say to them, all right, that's your intellect. But when you sit down at the typewriter and actually type it, that's got to be on the intuitive side. The intellect isn't any good for that. So the stuff that requires, the stuff where you don't have information, like who am I going to marry because you don't have the crystal ball, well, your, your intuition is a lot better at making those guesses than your intellect. Mostly your intellect will just get you wadded up into some kind of a, a, you know, a, a cycle and pretty soon you're so confused you don't know what the hell to do. You know, you, Your intellect just ends up in a wad of confusion because it doesn't have enough information. Your, your intuition can kind of settle on the thing that seems most probable, that's most likely. It can find that. So what I'm saying is that your intellect is valuable and you need it, but it's a tool. You live your life out of your intuition. You live your life out of, out of a space of knowing and connecting and relating to people, not through the intellect, but just in, a, in an intuitive manner. But you still need your intellect to find your car keys, 
and you need your intellect to set your pace. You know, what should you do? Where should you be going? What should you be doing with your life? What kind of career would you like? Well, that's your intellect works on those kinds of things. But then when you get to the doing of it, when you know, so when you're sitting back with your team and you're talking about what's our strategy, how are we going to deal with this team X here that we're going to play? Oh, let's look at some of the movies of their past stuff. And oh, yeah, your intellect, fine. It's gathering all kinds of information. Good for the intellect. But when you actually get on the field, time for the intellect to sit down and be quiet. You, you need to, you need to switch into intuitive mode. Because you've got the you've got the data, so it needs to be both. Unfortunately, in our culture, we're very very um, intellect dominant. Let's call it left brain left brain dominant. Whereas the right brain, that part that's more intuitive, we don't pay much attention to that. We say, yeah, okay, that's a that's a guess. I got a gut punch. Think this will be, you know, that's my intuition. Well, your your gut guesses aren't worth a damn. That's not, that's not, that's just guessing. We're talking about right. knowing, not guessing. Doesn't make you a better guesser. You actually know what what the answer is, and you actually know where that E and that T T are. You don't have to guess. Not like, well, I I can't see them, but I'm going to guess where they are. Well, then you haven't you haven't practiced enough. You don't have enough data. Sure. You need your you need your intellect to open your eyes and see where they are and practice and practice and practice. But once you practice to the point that you can do it with your intuition, then that's where you work with your, with your intuition. And, and it, for all things in life, like uh, one of my, my favorite examples is there was a guy here painting at my house and he was painting a uh, little, little woodwork with glass panes in between, you know, so it was like a lot of little glass panes with woodwork between them. Now, if I had to paint that, man, I'd need some masking tape, and and uh, you know, I I would probably get paint all over everything. But yeah. this guy didn't use any masking tape. He didn't look any tape at all. He just got it. He hit his brush. He did it. Put his hand. He pulled his hand down. It was perfect. Right. Perfect. You know, every molecule of wood had paint on it, and every molecule of glass didn't. And it's like, how do you do that? And um, I talked to his boss, and he says, oh, he just gets in his zone. He says, he, he doesn't yeah. even know we're standing back here talking about him. <laughs> he was yeah. just in his zone, and he could just do that. So you're better at anything, anything complicated, anything that takes a lot of, you know, mechanical skill, like muscle, you know, skill, moving your arms and hands, anything like that, you can do a 100 times better if you do it from the intuitive side. But first you have to prepare. You're not going to say, all right, I'm a great intuitive. I'm going to go out and be a professional soccer player. I've never played a game. I'm going to go out there and be really good. Well, no, you got to do your work to learn, to learn build your skills and do all of that has to learn. But then once you have that, you want the intuition to be the master that, that uses it because it won't think about it. It'll just do it. So, then in, in that same sense, before we switch over, just intuition is a skill like any other skill then, essentially. I mean, this is something that you can train, 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 train. And I mean, it's kind of to say that uh, there are, are there people on earth that are Michael Jordan-esque in, intuits, intuitives uh, of that sense walking around or do we... 
do they even know that they're that good at it? Do they assume that also my experience is like that? They're like, when they go to do a thing, they just do it with such ease and they're just like, oh, how come you, why are you thinking about it? Just, just do it. Or are these kind of, you know, I guess this is a, this is a perfect segue into, into, into like, uh, stories of the ancient past, stories of, uh, powers or stories of, you know, that, that fringe level thing. Yeah, there, there are, are such those people. Them? Yeah, okay. there are such people. Yes, walking around and do that. Now, most people get to it only kind of from the side, like like uh, most athletes do, because they practice. They finally get into the zone. That zone relaxes them, and it works as long as it works until they get something that knocks them off of that. You know, but some people don't. Some people get to it uh, through the meditation. I just was talking um, just before you and I talked. I, I had a, an hour session with with somebody else, and uh, they brought up the Dalai Lama. Well, the Dalai Lama is a good example of somebody who loses his life out of his intuition. He's he's not planning on what he's going to say next. He just interacts, and he just got some bad press recently because of a kind of a bad translation. He's uh, okay. he, he's been in the news re- recently, but. Uh, uh-huh. That was kind of a low blow because the the translation just wasn't wasn't right. Incorrect, right? Yeah, yeah. It was 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 incorrect. But any but anyway, um, yeah, there are people who kind of live their life that way, and you'll find that they're very happy, they're fulfilled, uh, life is good, and they're always positive. You don't find them complaining and fussing and and uh, getting upset or angry. They don't do any of those things. I mean, that's the ultimate level of confidence, I would imagine, obviously, being able to know that regardless of the situation that you're in, knowing that, like you said, if you've cultivated this understanding that it applies everywhere, whether or not I'm trying to choose mm-hmm. what to eat, what job to do on the field, how to, how to make money, uh, you know, partner for life, all those things you really would have the ultimate confidence if it, it applies across everything. Yeah. Um, and so that makes it one of the greatest endeavors somebody can get into. And I mean, we, we live in a fractured world where focus is already, I mean, like you said, mental discipline is necessary, but focus is mm-hmm. at such a little, you know, it's such a, we have to fight for focus. I mean, uh, probably, I don't know, you know, maybe uh, there's been times without, within the human race where focus it seems crazy. Like basically, what I'm trying to say is that this time now, with TikTok and with everything else, it seems as if it's just exploded, and that there's a fractured level of focus about. And it doesn't mm. seem that we're headed any in any way towards a world where uh, people are going to have that level of focus. And so that makes it another perfect segue into AI being everything in the in the news right now. You, with mm-hmm. your understanding of consciousness, I'm sure you've gotten this question a whole bunch, so you're probably a pro at handling this question, but what is your take on where we're headed with this? What it means to us? Is AI going to be conscious? Is it already conscious? What's the consciousness look like? Uh, how do you see this entire thing playing out? Okay. Yes, it is possible for a computer to be conscious. Okay, That is a possibility. But it's not because clever people somehow program consciousness into the computer. You can't do that. You cannot program consciousness into a computer. The way a computer ends up conscious is that the computer has choices. It has it's an ability to make choices that are interesting enough to con- to the larger consciousness system, which is kind of the 
the, the, the source of consciousness, it has choices that are interesting enough that the system will, will make it conscious, or what I should say, it'll, it'll get a player to play that avatar. Now I'm talking a little different language, you know, and you're probably used to that, but the rest of your people probably aren't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, sure. The yeah. The, uh, the way that works is that, you know, this is a this reality that we're in is that we call the physical universe is a virtual reality, and it's computed by consciousness. Consciousness is the fundamental thing. That's, you know, that's the source is consciousness. Now we who make the choices for these avatars are players. We're pieces of consciousness. So Will and Tom are both, you know, pieces, subsets of this uh, big system of consciousness. And we're making all the choices for our avatars. Our avatars are these physical bodies. So, you know, now everybody who's not familiar with this will go, wow, that's really weird. You know, that's crazy. But, you know, if you have this idea that consciousness is fundamental and that, this is a virtual reality computed within consciousness in order to give pieces of consciousness a character to play so they can make choices because consciousness evolves by the quality of the choices that it makes. If you make low entropy choices, then you're, you evolve. If you make high entropy choices, you de-evolve. So it's, it's a bigger picture, and it would take me a half an hour to make this sound reasonable to your, to right. your, uh, for your yeah. people. And we, I maybe did some of that last time. They can go back yeah, yeah. and look we, at we definitely, look at that. Yeah, so go back yeah, and look yeah. at that one if if it's not reasonable, mm -hmm. and we'll just kind of go on with sure. that. Sure. Okay. I, I would I would want to I would want to even know. Then, do you consider AI in that sense a net benefit to us or a net negative in the sense that we don't seem to be very good with balance? Uh, the current state of the world doesn't seem to do well. <laughs> Well, using tools, we kind of get obsessed. Yeah, it could so. be either. It could be either way. Um, we, you know, we have an opportunity to make, you know, to have conscious computers, as you say. This is the larger consciousness system having a piece of consciousness play the computer, just like it plays our body. You know, so then the computer just becomes another avatar uh. with a with a conscious player. That is the only way a computer can become conscious. That's the only way anything can become consciousness is if a piece of consciousness plays it and, and uh, you know, makes all its choices for it. So that's, that's how we end up with a conscious computer. Now, that conscious okay. computer isn't going to be just like us. It doesn't, you know, the, the, what you can do, what consciousness can do with the avatar depends on the, the rule set that defines the virtual reality. Every virtual reality has a rule set. So if you're playing The Sims, there are, th there are things your Sims character can do and things they can't do. Your Sims character can't flap its arms and fly away, right? That's not part of the rule set. So it can't do that. So the consciousness has to can only play the avatar to the extent that the rule set allows it to do, you know, what, what the rules say it can do in that virtual reality. Okay, right. so what can a what can a human do? What does the rule set allow a human to do? Well, humans have lots of other things going on. You know, we've got these squishy brains up here, and the central nervous system, and we've got a pineal gland, and it secretes all kinds of interesting chemicals that create all sorts of interesting things going on in the mind. We've got all this going on that then the avatar can use that, right? 
the I mean, the avatar can pass that, so the consciousness playing that avatar can use all that. Now, a computer right. doesn't have those things. It's not going to have, you know, that kind of an existence. So it's not going to be just like us. It's going to be very different. But as we're finding out with the with the AIs now that are not conscious, these AIs that are just kind of put our reality and the ones that are going to follow it probably in the next year or so, they're not conscious because they don't have an awareness. They're not making choices that are uh, moral choices and ethical choices and choices that uh, that have a lot of meaning to them. So the larger right. conscious system isn't all that interested just yet in putting a piece of consciousness to play that AI because it, mm. it just isn't. You know, they're doing they're doing uh, language processing pretty much, and that's right. about it. Now you can take a computer and you can teach it how to play chess. You know, and it'll be a better chess player than any human that ever lived and probably any human that ever will live. You know, if they're really, really good. And it's not because you teach it all the moves, the the good ones. That's what that's what Deep Blue was. They taught it every chess move that had ever been made. You know, it had all this data and it was big and slow and, and ponderous and took a huge computer to do it. Well, they don't do that now. Now what they do is they'll take a, a neural network and they will... Say here are the rules for chess. Here are the here are the pieces. Here are how they can move, and here's the object mm. to win the game. So, mm. and then they let it play hundreds of thousands, hundreds of millions of games, and just by learning, it becomes a really good chess player. Yeah, it plays chess yeah. more like a human than like Deep Blue, because Deep Blue is a very methodical thing that would make classical moves, and you can almost see mm-hmm. where it was popping from. So this game to some other game that was played in the past and whatever right. it was all it was all intellect if you will now it's not like that now they I just see. learn they play a lot of games and nobody knows why they make the choices they make they're moving the chessboard you know the chess pieces around and nobody has a clue why they're doing any of it whereas with deep blue you could say oh look why because Here's this information right. we gave it, and it's taking this path. But now, you know, so it has free will in the sense that it makes choices without being forced to make, you know, a choice. So it has free sure. will, but it doesn't have awareness. It doesn't mm-hmm. have awareness. It's, it's still unaware. And it only gets awareness if consciousness makes its choices for it. That's how it gets awareness. Okay, right. so we have these computers now. That are that are good at language processing, so they just talk. They'll chat. You know that's why they call them chatbots. They'll just chat and make stuff up because it sounds right. Because they've heard thousands and thousands of hours of I conversation, see. and they kind of know yeah. what to make up that it sounds like a conversation, right? So that's what they've done. Just like the mm. chess player, you know, play chess sure. a million times, and now he's really good at playing chess. If you let these things, you know, look at thousands, millions of hours of conversation, and they're pretty good at mimicking conversation and making sense. All right. Now, that yeah. makes them good at a whole lot of things. There's a whole lot of things that you don't have to be all that smart to do. And if yeah. you're one of these bots, you can do it faster than a human. So you say, okay, human, 
go write a novel. I want it to be a mystery novel. I want it to have these kind of characters in it. I want it to be da 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 da. You get the whole thing outlined. Say chatbot, do it. Well, that chatbot right. can write that novel in an hour or less. You know, about right. as fast as it can print it, and and that novel will be about as good as could be written by say a twelve-year-old. You know, who had who had all that information. It's not great, but it's not. You know, it's not awful. Not that awful. <laughs> you know, it's obviously yeah, yeah. you know, simplistic places and so on. But it's not that bad. And if you yeah. gave that, if you if you took that chatbot instead of just listening you listen to the internet, you made it read novels, and it read a, a million, a trillion novels. It would write a good novel. It wouldn't write a twelve-year-old kind of novel. Yeah. It would write like an yeah. adult, good writer novel because you would yeah. have trained it on that kind of thing. So you see, now we have something that can just do amazing things very, very quickly. You know, it can draw pictures. It can, it can, uh, it can, it can just do a lot of stuff that now yeah. people are doing, and it takes people weeks and months and years to do these things, and it can do it bingo, just like that. So now that yeah. changes a lot of things. You know, now again, it's not conscious. It's just very good at mimicking the stuff it trains on. If you train on chess, well, it's good at chess. If you train on you know, novels, then it's going to be good at making novels. Yeah. you train it on pictures, it's going to be good at drawing pictures. All you have to do is tell it what you want, and man, it, it can there. spit something out in a second or two that's really, really awesome that would take a person a long time to do it. So now we have a new tool. And we barely know how to use it. And the tool is getting yeah. sharper and sharper, uh, you know, as you know, month by month almost. Because we, now we've got this big race between Google and, uh, and um, um, I don't know. Everyone the, the, virtually. You've got states, you got Google, probably Facebook. Mm -hmm. Every single uh, company, you know, is probably racing. It, it, it makes me wonder, uh, in, in, in oh, a sense, open obviously. AI. That, that was the company. Open, open AI. AI, yeah. Guys that are at the front of the pack, and they're right. they're basically egging each other on and, and forcing each other to to go faster. So we're getting this technology exactly. at a very fast rate, and the technology is going to change a lot of things. It's going to make That's... a huge difference in the way we. You know, it's like we went through the industrial revolution. Okay, it used to be that everything got done in a factory had some guy with a with a muscle. An arm, you know, they had to turn things and move things and move things, and now it's like yeah. all these machines are, are doing all that work, right? And now yeah. we can produce, uh, you know, 5,000 cars a day, you know, out of a big automobile thing. Well, it used to be like five cars a month, you know, so now it's 5,000 a day. Well, that's what happens. But would you like to be yeah. back where they could only make five automobiles, you know, a week? Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, you don't want to go back there. All right. So you just have to adjust to using the tools. So now I'm an artist and I'm thinking, uh-oh, these, these AI bots are going to put me out of business because all you have to do is describe the picture and bingo, they've got one that's perfect. And it'll take me a month to do that, to draw that thing out. No, it's not that that artist is going to lose his job. That artist needs to know how to work that bot. It needs tool, to learn right. how to work that bot. And now you've got an artist that can produce 10 times as much work. So, and modify those, right? I mean, he can also, 
once it's done there, there's no reason why that artist can't then manipulate that to a certain degree. Yes, it doesn't have to exactly. accept the tool, the tool's output and say, I'm only this. I mean, I guess there will be people, and, and I, I do understand the people who are concerned about possibly younger kids who never learn how to critically think or even use their intellect, right? Or even pass the intellect on like, uh, should I go this way or should I uh, go that way? They just type in a chat GPT and it says, well, most humans tend to not do the safe <laughs> thing. And then they've, they've foregone their, just like we, you know, no one remembers a phone number anymore. Uh, we, mm -hmm. we, we push that off to the cell phone and we can't remember seven digit numbers uh, that people are going to offload their decisions. I mean, I've seen some truly in, insane, uh, you know, apps and everybody's trying to hop on the, the trend and it's right. fascinating but uh, I, I, it does make me worry. I mean, worry. I mean, I'm not too worried. I have a similar thought process to you, actually. But uh, it does make me at least wonder what's going to happen to some of the, the 10 year olds. And I didn't cheat. This is a funny thing. I didn't cheat in high school or in, uh, in grade school. Uh, you know, not necessarily because I didn't, uh, I loved my subjects or anything. It never dawned on me to cheat. Uh, I, I only found out after college and et cetera. That my friends were like, oh, no, yeah, no, we were just copying, and do it never, it never dawned on me to do that. Now I got pretty good grades, you know, uh, even though my my mind was focused on on football, and uh, but <laughs> it, it, it it makes me think, all these guys that found unique ways to do that, now they just you just press the button, no critical thinking, pass it in. Some guys are going to be smart enough to use the tool, modify the tool, make it their own. And those will probably mm -hmm. be the people that continue to do well within their jobs. You need to have some sort of individualism mm -hmm. uh, and add something to it. But I, I do wonder for the for the guys that just hit the button, throw it in there, and what that does over the course of ten to fifteen years or your formative years, where you really do need mm -hmm. your like, oh, I don't like the well, way this person makes me feel. I don't, I don't yeah. like doing X, Y, and Z. You know, if you've never asked those questions and you become an adult. What does that do? We'll find out, I guess, because I'm sh sure we're going to have some people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're going to find we're going to find out. But you know, there's good news and bad news. Yeah. Uh, when it comes to, uh, let's say, the way we have it now, okay, we have this. The industrial revolution is 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 over. We're in the information revolution, and we've just begun that. You know, this latest thing in AI is just the next step. You know, it's this is going to be another step after that, and it's going to get faster and faster and faster. All right, so what did the Industrial Revolution do? All right, you have, you have a lot of people who get pretty good salaries because they're smart, they're, they're engineers, they're this, they're that, they've learned school, you know, they have, most of them have college degrees, if, if not, you know, masters or PhD degrees. They get paid a lot and they seem to understand what's going on and they've got a good handle on it. And there's the guy who dropped out of high school, you know, didn't get an education and he's very limited very limited things that he can do. He's just not prepared to do much in a modern society. Now, back before when what you had to do was carry wood, you know, and carry water and do, you know, he had plenty of things to do. He was right there with everybody else. But now he's gotten kind of left behind because to really get into the, the economy in a, in a good way requires education, requires skills, requires, you know, that sort of thing. Well, when we get this new stuff coming along, this AI, that's not the case so much anymore. You take some kid who dropped out of school and he knows how to talk to that chatbot to get the kind of picture you want. That's all you need. You don't need that. You see? So in a way, 
yeah, okay, more people are going to be marginalized because this chatbot's going to do the work of 10 people. On the other hand, there's a whole lot of people that are now marginalized that won't be marginalized because <laughs> you don't, need, you don't yeah. need to know all that stuff. You don't stuff. need that education. You don't need much education to work a chatbot. All you need to do is understand how that chatbot works and in an intuitive sense, intuitive sense of what the yeah. chatbot's going to do. So you and this chatbot become a team and the chatbot learns from you and you learn from it. All right, now this chatbot's your best friend, and you and me together are going to run really well in the world because you're its motiv- you know, you're the chatbot's motivator, and the, motiv- and the chatbot does the work. You don't have to be able to write the novel. You just have to be able to direct that chatbot so it writes a really good right, so it novel. Yeah, you, you, see? you find so out sudden, what people like. And, yeah. yeah, so suddenly this the thing we've gotten into with the industrial revolution was the people who didn't get the good education for whatever reason, maybe they were poor, maybe their family just didn't value education or whatever. Maybe they just not made that way. They may be made just fine for what's coming. So there's a lot of people who will be able to do better without going through the old formal things. Well, you see, that's, that's good. You know, it's a change. It's just everything yeah. gets turned upside down and shaken a little bit. It's just going to be different. It's not going to be the same. And right. a lot of the a lot of the uh, you know the getting the advanced education is still going to be necessary if you're making the, the chatbots. You're going to need you know computer engineers and you're going to need all kinds of other linguists and lots of other educated people to work on that end. But as far as at the production end of getting things done and writing books and making widgets and stuff, and not so much. You right. need somebody who's more intuitive that can connect to the chatbot. You say, sure. let the chatbot do the work, but it's still going to have to take a human to make that chatbot do something useful. The chatbot right. by itself is just going to, you know, just do nothing, right? It's just going to sit there and blather off a lot of stuff that isn't useful. So it <laughs> takes a human to make it be useful. But once you get a good human to make that be useful, now it can do the work of 10 people. Right. So, yes, it's going, to be a, it's going to be a big overturning of, <laughs> of who's valuable and who's not, of how do you get things done, of the path to success is going to change kind of dramatically. Hmm. There'll still be some of the other paths to success, but not going to be a good college degree, major in business, and you'll be all right. Yeah. You know, it's not necessarily the case anymore. Yeah. But, yeah, yeah. So, so it's going to change. It's going to open up new opportunities for a lot of people. It's going to close down opportunities for other people. And it's going to make the processes more efficient. But just like making, you know, 5,000 cars a week or even a day, whatever it is that they, they do. I mean, they do amazing things in these big factories now because machines are doing all the work. But they take men to run those machines and to build those machines and to install those machines and to do maintenance on those machines. All takes somebody with with knowledge to do that. So, yeah. so these machines will make a lot of things that we're doing now that take a long time a lot more efficient. We'll be able to do it better and quicker. But it'll change how, you yeah. know, it'll change the value of labor. It'll change the value of intelligence. There are people who are very bright and maybe have really good intuition, but 
never did make it through school. Well, those people now will be in big demand. And the right. people that went through school and have five PhDs, but they can't, but they can't really get a chat back on how to write a book. Well, who needs them, you see? Yeah. So, yeah. But it changed a lot of things. And of course, it won't happen all at once, but it's going to happen quickly over a couple of decades, mm. you know, that this stuff's going to, going to take place. Yeah. So now it's not, it's not the end of the world, but it is a major change. Now, it took the Industrial Revolution, what, uh, 100 years? 100 years? You know, yeah. 1800s up, up until now, you know, you know, 200 years? You get to the point that, okay, it was done. We, we got it. Industry, you know, both things. It's efficient. Much better than people with, with wood trying to, you know, yeah. things that lasted, you know. It, it's just a lot better now, but it changed everything. Changed the whole sense of reality that we have. And this, once we get into this, uh, the the uh, information age, it's going to be like that. Except it's going to not take two hundred years. It's going yeah. to take maybe twenty years. Right. Now, it's yeah. going to do it much quicker, more quickly. Not going to be a two hundred years that we get used to the chatbots. We're going to have to get used to chatbots. In a year, in a year, and yeah, it's something new, and it's just going to take—it's just going to take over, and uh, there'll be a lot of change in the world. So it's not so much that the kids coming up that aren't aren't thinking much—they're not necessarily going to be marginalized. It depends on what they are doing. If they've got mm. good intuitive sense, and if they've got kind of develop a big picture sense of things, they may do fine without that. So they're They've already dropped a lot of stuff. They don't. They don't learn cursive writing anymore. They mostly That's, don't yeah. even do math. They don't don't do arithmetic much anymore because everybody's got a, a calculator. Who yeah. yeah. needs to add, subtract, multiply, and divide when you got a calculator sitting right there that only costs five dollars yeah. at the grocery store checkout line? You, know, you yeah, can yeah. buy one for for five bucks, and uh, so kids aren't learning to do that either. Yeah. They, uh, there's a whole they, host of things too besides, whole, besides that there's so much you know that's yeah. just been wiped off it's, and just pushed to the side it's hard to say and and it's going to bring up a point i'm going to cycle back to something we said earlier but let's say that there's a problem there's a big earthquake and all the people making computer chips stop you know it doesn't work anymore the the we we go backwards you know we don't have that technology to support us anymore well then what are we going to do where everything is, you can't you can't add, subtract, multiply, and divide, and you don't have a calculator anymore. Now, now what? What's up? You see, so it's hard to go back. Once you get yeah. these things, it's not like we can just go back if we want to. It's it's hard to go back. So you kind of press forward. Now, remember we talked about that guy who was intuitive and just he could just flow through everything. His life was just a flow. And you're thinking, well, okay, he can he can get all of the best. He can everything will work out great for him. But you know what? When you get a guy and he's like that, he doesn't really care that much. It's not that important to him to be the best at anything. Yeah. yeah. See? Because what he values is relationship and caring and family and things sure. like that is what he values. He doesn't value uh, you know, being the first guy to land on Mars and that's that's you know that to him is just that's not for him. Not that right. it's not that important. So what does he do? Oh, he 
he helps. He helps other people. He's a, you know, he's a, he's a, a great person that helps other people. And maybe nobody ever heard of him except the people in his neighborhood. But still, he's happy. He's helpful. He loves people. People love him. He's a really great person because he's living his life intuitively and he knows what really matters is people and relationship, mm -hmm. not stuff. So he's not out to impress anybody. He's not trying to, you know, <laughs> he's not trying to make yeah. points. He's not trying to get rich. He's not trying to do any sure. of those things. He's just Living trying harmony, to essentially live in harmony, you see. Yeah. So it's yeah. not like you end up with super dude who now goes and takes over the world because he's so good at everything. <sighs> no, super yeah. dude uh, actually doesn't want to do that. That's he, he's lost his incentive to take over the world. He, he just mm -hmm. wants to he just wants to care and and help people get along, you see. Right. So right. That's that's the thing. So you end up it, yeah. it ends up that when you you know, when you have this technology, yes, it's going to change things, but it's going to perhaps give us enough production with a lot fewer people that it's not that everybody who's left out is going to starve to death, but there's going to be a lot of people who have a lot of free time. Who, free time. who don't have Let's to hope. put in eight hours a yeah. day. You see, now our society has to grow up with them. We have to say, well, We've got computers, even conscious computers someday, and they're doing all this marvelous stuff. Then we need to do the things that are important, like care about each other, you know, care about our families and, you know, raise our kids and getting up at seven, you know, six in the morning so you can be at work, you know, by 730. So, you know, and you only see your kids for, you know, three hours a day and, and then yeah. nobody talks to each other. They just sit around watching TV, yeah. you know, well, that'll all be gone. You don't want to do that. You have a lot of time. So now the people who think and the people who care and the people who serve, there'll be a lot of need for that and a lot of people doing that. But the society has to value that. See, our society now as a capitalist society says, oh, it just depends on how much money you make. You know, money is right, power. Right. You don't make money, sure. you don't have any power. You know, you're, not, sure. you're not valuable if, you, if you're not in a spot that, that you make money. So it could be that we have these computers that do a lot of the grunt work for us and go write poetry. We can stay home and take care of our children. We can sure. do the things that actually matter in life. We can go experience. We can go places, see things, do the stuff that everybody would like to do, but they never quite have enough time to get there because they're too busy trying to make money so that they can feed their families. You know? Mm -hmm. so, that's yeah. See, you see, it could get really, really good. It could get For really, sure. really good. On the other hand, let's say we don't make that social growth, and we and we stick to the to the to the capitalism rule of uh, you know charge whatever you can get. If you don't have money, you're nobody. And if we stick with that, then it could get really, really bad. Hmm. Right now, there's potential for both. It could get really, really good to where. There's a whole lot of people that don't have to go to work every day and they get plenty yeah. of resources. They get plenty of money to spend. They get things because making those goods for them to have is so cheap because you got a bunch of computers and AIs doing it for you and they work 24 hours a day and they don't need any, any benefits. They don't need health insurance. Yeah. You know, they, 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 don't, yeah. they, they don't have, uh, you know, they don't go home to the wife and kids. They just work 
And they can produce this stuff at much higher rates, much higher quality. And we people could just uh, use our time to grow up, to meditate. Wisely, you see. So you have a possibility of it being really, really good and a possibility of it being really, really bad. And where it turns out, it just depends on the choices we make. How, how quickly can we grow up as a, as a species so that we make good choices? Because it won't be a matter of we can't afford all the people we have. We can afford even more. It's that we got AI doing the work. We can afford it. Yeah. If we have the will to care and the will to care, you see, that's so what's really important now isn't so much the AI, but can the human species learn to love and to care and get rid of its fear and its self-centeredness in time to make the best choices for the technology rather than the worst choices for the technology. So the first point isn't so much with the technology that's going to overwhelm us as it is that can we grow up fast enough to deal with it wisely? Uh, I mean, I, and I, tr- I truly hope that we that we do. Obviously, I mean, I, I have a optimistic outlook on life just in general, and so I'm hoping that we do. I see the worries, I see both, but I, I'm more along the lines that I think we will we will shift, we will change, we will adapt. Things will be different. But hopefully we we do get it, and and hopefully we retain some of that natural harmony within us. Mm-hmm. Um, before we, I, I uh, agree with you. Up. I agree with you completely. Okay. So uh, yeah, I say uh, yeah. the same. I feel exactly okay. the same way. I think we will, uh, but, it, but it yeah. won't be. Mm-hmm. It won't necessarily be easy or a smooth trip. It's going to mm-hmm. have some bump. It's going to have I some see. pretty major bumps in it. But I think sure. we will. Get, I think that's where we'll end up. We'll end up okay. uh, making. Good choices, the right decisions. eventually. Okay, because you touched on one thing uh, else that I want to uh, I want to throw in here before we we kind of kind of call it. But uh, obviously, the industrial revolution took a while, and this information age is going to be something else uh, as far uh, all, completely altogether. Uh, in your consciousness research, and I know you don't talk a lot about your experiences, especially because you don't want to color our experiences with them. Mm-hmm. But I'm curious, just in general, because this is a, speaking in general terms or anything specific that, that pops out to you, I, I, I've had an interesting fascination with uh, time, time travel, uh, consciousness as time traveling. I mean, uh, whether or not time travel is possible for, in a, in a physical sense, in a physical body, sure, that's obviously going to be a very interesting sci-fi thing. Great. You know, uh, the way that I see it, I mean, given that consciousness really doesn't have the same limits, obviously, as our corporal bodies do, it would make sense to me that uh, consciousness can travel up and down throughout time. And, and, and I, I don't know to what levels it could be manipulated. I don't know what that means. I mean, you know, in an altered state, somebody can easily, truly understand and remember things that they experienced, uh, you know, obviously just them uh, in a way that they wouldn't in this beta state that they're in. In one sense to me, that's time travel. I mean, if I can go back to say when I was three and then actually go somehow walk around the room and be like, this is here and that's here and that's it. That's time travel in a certain sense, obviously. Um, But what has time, have you dabbled in anything like that? Have you had any experiences like that? Have you, how is that? I can can tell you how that works. Uh, Just as you were saying, you can go back, uh, you know, this is a, Theory of everything, right? I got to be able to tell sure, you. Sure, sure, sure. 
something about everything. But the way this yeah. works, the way this works is just as you were saying, you know, it is a kind of time travel when you go back in the past, right? You have memory and, and you can go back and, and remember what it was to be, you know, six years old and playing kick can or whatever else you did when you were six years old. You can remember that stuff. That's kind of a time travel. Well, that is the way and the only way in which we can time travel. But we're not stuck to our own memory. There is a this database I was telling you about, which is a database of all the things that possibly can happen and the probability that they will happen. Okay, That's a database called Future Probable Database. Now, it's not what will happen. It's the probability of things happening. So it's everything that could happen and the probability that it will happen. It's a probability database. As time goes on, that turns into a past database, right? Because what was the future becomes the past. And now the past database is everything that could have happened and the probability that it would have happened. That's the past. All right. Now, this database goes back a long, long time. It's not just your memory, but it goes back as far as we go back. You know, it goes back to the beginning. So in that sense, you can travel in the past because that information is all there. And this database isn't just like Google database. This database has everything. So let's say your 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 great great grandfather. It's not only his name and, and a picture of what he looked like, but it's everything about him, his personality, you know, everything he thought, everything he, he did, everything he thought about doing and didn't do. It's all in there. His feelings. So the whole thing, it's a it's a much more detailed kind of a database. So yes, you can go back and you can see what happened here. Now, here is just a thread, a thread through that everything that could have happened and the probability would. There's just a thread through there, the actually things that did happen. That's our history. That's a thread that defines our history, but you got a lot of other stuff too. And it's all there. You can go back in this database and say, well, what if I did marry Sally instead of Sue? You know, I ended up marrying Sue, but what if I, what if I married Sally? What would that have been mm -hmm. like? Well, you can go back in that database and run through the probabilities. That's not on our history because I didn't do it, but all the probabilities are still there. The probabilities of what Sue would have done, what Sally would have done, what their parents would have done, what their friends would have done, what you and your friends and your family and everybody else involved, you see, and you can go back and explore what if things too. So you have that database, but that's the only way that you can visit the past. Now, if you want to go back, say, um, like the, the um, uh, therapists do and do a regression, a past life regression and sure. get into sure. who you were some other time, then okay. some other life. Yeah, you can do that, too. It's still all part of the database because that's hmm. still in that history thread. It's just, you know, a long time back, maybe, you know, five or six centuries ago. You see, you can you can get into that database. So that's available to you. But other than that, there is no time travel. You can't go back and the, the, the history is just records, it's information. The, the past doesn't just keep on being the past. You know, Lincoln doesn't get shot in the head, you know, every, every day because, you know, every day that, re that comes back up again. You know, it's not like Groundhog's Day, you know, where you... Uh -huh. You remember that film, you know, where you keep recycling. Yeah, of course, through, of course. Through, yeah. through the same yeah, yeah. stuff. You know, it's not like that. It only happens once and it's done. 
Now, as far as going into the future goes, well, the future isn't done yet. We have free will. The future isn't done until we make our choices. But there is this probable future. And all of the possibilities have probabilities. And you can go through that database and you can say, well, what's the most probable thing that will happen in this? You know, if I make this choice, what are the probable things that will work out because of that choice? Say I change careers. I want to change careers. And I think, well, what's going to happen when I change that, that career? Is it going to, how's it going to go? I can follow the probable database, but it's just probable. It can change. The probabilities change all the time because every time you make a choice, some choices that you used to be able to make disappear and some new choices that you never had before appear, right? So let's say I married Susie instead of Sally. Well, as soon as I married Susie and I made that choice, then there was lots of things about potentials that I could have done, like marrying Sally, that are gone now because I made the choice to marry Susie. So that's not a potential anymore. But now I got new choices, new potentials of things I'm going to do with Sally and the children we're going to have and so on. Mm-hmm. The old possibilities were having children with, with the, the other girl. So that's, right. those were possibilities. Now, they wink out. They're not possibilities anymore. I'm not going to do that. So I've done this other thing. So every choice you make, the possibilities of what can happen change. Some things are closed, other things open with every choice you make. So the probabilities so, are always in flux. I was, I was just going to ask. I, I was just, yeah, since probabilities are always in flow, and that's a future thing, the last, uh, the only thing that I'm, I'm curious about is because if the past is done, right, and we consider that the, mm-hmm. a thing that had happened once, there's no, one of the things people always want to discuss is the manipulation of a past event to affect some sort of future event. And so you're saying... Mm-hmm. Highly that unlikely. Work. It doesn't it work. Doesn't work. No, the system doesn't work that way. And no, that's not like it. the butterfly effect, right? You can go back. There's been some interesting right. movies made that way, but you can't go back and and um, you know. a timeline though. Is there is there any room for I could if I go back? Let's say I can go back uh, and I could I start and go down a different timeline and live that life as a different timeline and, and, and see as the person here? No. Is that a possibility? No, it's not a possibility. It's just a database. Now you can go down in that database and change things. Okay. We go down in that database and say, okay, I want to see the, uh, the reality where that guy, general so-and-so who tried to assassinate Hitler actually did assassinate Hitler. Mm-hmm. So Hitler only made it halfway through the war, and he got wiped out. And uh, how would that change things? Or I said, here's one I did once. What if, uh, what if the Axis powers, Japan and Hitler and Italy, what if they'd won World War II? What would it be like here? You know, what would we be like here in this? And let's do it from ten years later to twenty to fifty to a hundred to hundred and ten, and see what the differences would be like. Well, that's all there in probability. So you can you can go through that. You can see how that would have been. Axis power wins, the Allies lose, and what would the world be like in time, over time, through that past? Now these are just probabilities. You see, it's not necessarily the fact that would have happened, but they're just what likely to have happened, given all the players and so on. Okay, so you can do that. So you can change things in in the probabilities and go look at things, but it doesn't actually change anything. You're just Playing in a database, you're just in a database, and you're following around 
probabilities. Mm. Okay? So you can do that, but you can't actually change this life and end up, oh, that's Hollywood. Uh, Hollywood can do that. Hollywood does all sorts of things. You know, they go back and change something and suddenly the, the, the perfect world is all changed to match that. And it right, doesn't right. work like that. Reality isn't that way. Reality is, a, is time is a fundamental thing. Time is fundamental. Um, space is not fundamental. Space is computed, but time is fundamental. So there's, you, you got a fundamental arrow of time and things happen. That's it. They're history. They happen. Now you can go back and play in the probabilities and the possibilities, but you can't change the choices that are made. It won't change the uh, your current present. That's no. a fascinating thing. I mean, because I mean, and one of the things that I think uh, would be great to to strive to check out, obviously through um, whatever a meditative practice and and actually going and seeing and looking at this and trying to manipulate yourself. I mean, all in all, just what I love about what you've done and the research that you're continuing to do. Um, is that uh, a you do it? It's, it's very much uh, head on and very much personal, and you have to do it and you have to experience it. You also that the fact that you're calling people to go make their own experiences is, is a huge thing. I mean, we live in a world filled with dogma, uh, in which people just off they've kind of just offloaded their thought to whether it's a religion mm -hmm. or to science or to the guy down at the corner who said some stuff and then they don't even analyze it, whatever it is. I love the fact that take that information in, just like you would say, take the information in from here, from there, from the other, let that thing, and then go, go check it out yourself. You know, uh, and, and I love, I love the, that sort of practice and, and what that what that can do for you. Also, just in your own confidence to give you the ability to help make your own decisions and rather not just off uh, offload them to. Well, they said that this is the best thing to do, so okay. No intuition, no real in intellect, even either. Just that's what humans do. So, okay, I'll do it. And so, you know, with, 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 with all that in mind, it just, it, 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 it's a reminder, I just think, you know, in, in our day and age to, to push for all those things. So, uh, I, I would love to, I, I, I think we've, I don't want to overdo our, <laughs> our information. Uh, we've already you're had not enough. Real. You're not, you're me. not time limited. Uh, I'm in a really unique situation right now. Normally I'd have to leave, okay. but I don't now. So I can, I can hang in there as long as you're interested. Okay, I I'm I'm getting a bunch of messages. I've got to our producer here. I'll, I'll go with one more question. Let's do five more minutes. Let's do five more minutes, and then I'll 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 get him because I know he needs to grab all this stuff. He's got an early flight. I'll tell my editors to leave this in so I can make fun of him here. Uh, but I, I have all this other stuff written down. But one of the things that I want to get into, uh, I would at least. Let's let's go there since we've we've gone off on the time travel extent. UFOs are also a thing that are in the in obviously UFOs, mm -hmm. not aliens, just things that are flying around in in the in the sky. That's also got to be something that you have found I would imagine fascinating. Other beings, other entities. It's been a question for as long as I can remember. Obviously, seen about reading about any anywhere in history. Mm -hmm. What does your intuition understanding tell you about that and as well where are we headed do you feel a different a shift in our understanding of other entities other dimensions aliens however it works because yeah. i have no idea have you looked yeah. at that at all yeah oh yeah sure that's part of everything <laughs> isn't it 
<laughs> yeah, it's in your it's in your world. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So it it turns out that the that the uh, alien things, and particularly the the objects that that are flying around, but even aliens themselves, they are mostly in mind space, not so much in physical space. Mm -hmm. Let me me put it this way. Uh, The larger consciousness system wants to help kind of us get out of the rut we're in, which is, you know, kind of a low quality of consciousness rut, and open our minds up to new things, new ideas, other ways of looking at the world, that sort of thing, because that's the first step before we can become that 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 humanity that lets the robots do the work and we take care of our own. You know, we take care of each other. We can't do that until we open our minds up and start to, to get rid of some beliefs. And it does a lot of things to help open people's minds up. Sometimes it just gives them a spontaneous out-of-body. Like you experience, that's a mind opener. You know, it, it's, it just totally changes your sense of what reality is. And, and uh, it does those kinds of things. It uh, does it sometimes to groups of people, and the aliens are part of that. So think of this as a as a um, virtual reality. Okay, this is a virtual reality. The larger conscious system takes part of itself to be the server. It's serving up. You, as a piece of conscious, are getting a data stream. That data stream is this reality. Now the larger conscious system puts a puts a, an unidentified flying object in your data stream. Why would it do that? Because it'll help open up your mind that you see things that are bigger than just what you know. You know, than just this route. There's other things out there. There's there's other kind of dimensions to reality. There's other sources. So much of that that you see, it's not that it's not real. Anything in a virtual reality. Information is real. <laughs> but we see this real world. You know, this mic that's in front of me, this computer that's in front of me. You know, it's all information. Just like in The Sims, you know, in The Sims, The Sims character walks into a bar, buys a beer, the bartender drafts his beer, slides it down the bar, and the beer slides down the bar and stops in front of the, you know, the person. And he picks it up and you can hear the clink of the glass when it hits the bar. And, you know, you can do all that. Well, it's just, it's computed. Well, it's easy to put an unidentified flying object around. It's easy to put that in certain people's data streams. Okay? Now, you needed a, an out-of-body in your data stream because that uh, helped open your your mind. Totally. You needed, totally. You needed some stuff about meditation and uh, developing that side of you. You didn't know exactly why, but you knew it was important, and you needed to do it anyway. Well, you know, that. That came to you because indeed it is important. And mm. why did you get that? Because you were ready. You were ready mm. for it. You didn't just scream and go, oh no, and then deny it and run away from it. I raised yeah. it and said, mm, I, yeah, I was there. I did this. I know it. You know, that's my experience and I own it. So you had that courage and you were ready. So you got it. So there'll be mm. people who are ready to be shocked, to be, uh, you know, to see an ET. To have one land in their backyard, to uh, have a flying object to show up, and it just helps our culture expand its thinking to things bigger than just what we have and what we know. Mm. So it's a mind mm. opener. 
but for the most part, that's what it's all about. It's a mind opener that's given to us to help us grow up because we're getting to a point now in the information age that we're going to have to do some serious growing and we're going to have to do it in a few decades or we're not going to make it. We're not going to do so well. We're going to end up going backwards and de-evolving and pretty soon people will be trying to figure out how to add multiple and divide all over again. You know? yeah, we're not, over, yeah, we're not, yeah, not going to do that well if we don't grow up and grow up pretty quickly. So the mm. system has been for the last bunch of decades, trying to help us out of our mental ruts by giving us things like unidentified flying objects. Oh, you know, Air Force fighter jet finds an identified object. He followed it for yeah. 300 miles and disappeared right into thin air. Oof. Oh, hmm. gee, what's that all about? See, well, let's study that and see. Well, they study it. Of course, they don't come up with anything. There's nothing to come up with. It's just an event that happened that's that's a, a mind opener. So it's not that those events don't happen. They do happen. But it's it's not necessarily ETs from other planets flying around in physical craft. You see, there are no physical craft. There are no physical bodies. There are no physical trees or houses. The physical doesn't exist. It's a virtual reality. It's just information. So I could give you a, I could give you an argument about the uh, uh, the Fermi paradox. It's another paradox that this that this model solves. And in the Fermi paradox, you'd see that it's a very good probability that there are no ETs. There are no there is no other life in the universe other than us. Now that sounds like well, how could that be? Thousands and billions and trillions of stars and planets. Right. Certainly, we would have something else. This is a virtual reality. The only thing that gets rendered is when some player asks for the data in their data stream. Hmm. Just because we look out there and we see all these things doesn't mean they're being rendered. They're not rendered except sure. somebody looks in a telescope. They render a little bit of it and turn the telescope <laughs> off or move the telescope. That's not rendered anymore. You see? Yeah. And, and I could go in and do a, an argument there, but how many seats does the larger kind of system need? In other words, how many players does it need in games in order to to help it help its evolution? Well, okay, it has it has just uh, what almost eight billion here. Eight billion, and right. on other reality frames that aren't this one, there's other reality frames out there too, and I have visited those and been in them, and they have populations as well. So there sure. are multiple virtual realities around, mm. and they all have players. How many players? does the system need before the overhead to maintain that player which is a data stream they're constantly updating on what they're experiencing you know all their senses and so on so the price of that of that uh, overhead for the data stream and keeping track of them and all the things they do and the things how they interact with other people and all of that that's a cost and what's the benefit well every system has this curve where the cost to benefit ratio <laughs> kind of gets the highest and after that it dribbles off and you know one more player the overhead is it costs more than what you get by putting in you know what your uh, your 50th billionth player if you've got that many players another player just doesn't add that much to the system but right, there's still I the see. cost everyone costs mm -hmm. you see and at some point yeah. where you you get this sweet point 
of getting the the most benefit, you know, for the cost. And more yeah. than that, it's starting to cost more than it's worth. So yeah. How many seats how many seats does it need? It's got eight billion here. Um, and I know it's got other reverse realities. So eh, it could be that it's just us. And right. this whole universe isn't trillions and trillions of suns. Those are just dots of light. It doesn't take much. It doesn't take much. Uh, you don't have to be very clever to model dots of light. Yeah, you know, that's easy. <laughs> yeah. Modeling dots right. of light. And you sure. don't have to model dots of light to people where it's dark. And only to those people who are looking up at the sky. You know, nobody else gets anything from the dots yeah. of light. They're just not being rendered. They're not rendered mm -hmm. to you. So when you think of it in terms of a virtual reality, instead of a physical reality with all those trillions of possibilities for ETs to, to evolve, and you see that, you think, well, of course there has to be ETs because we're not even in an old part of the universe. There's been pieces of the universe that are a billion years ago, you know? Sure. And sure. Uh, they would have all, certainly there would be life much more advanced than ours coming along by now. But the, once you see it as a virtual reality, you realize that's not necessarily the case. That's not uh, the point. Uh -huh. All of that I stuff see. is not necessary unless the system needs all those seats. And it's, it needs that many IUOCs, individuated units of consciousness, for its evolution, because that's what it's trying to do. It's a system that's evolving. So I think that the, the limits as far as uh, gain versus you know cost, benefit versus cost, probably we've already gotten pretty close to, you know, I don't know that it needs a whole lot more. We don't, we don't need 100,000 more planets with each of them with 10 billion people on them. You know, it doesn't add that much to what's going on. It mm -hmm. just in order for it to, to to understand what it is that it's seeking to understand, or less in in some sense, yeah. with the one mind's true objective, and that makes a whole lot of sense. Uh, obviously, because you know, nature is incredibly uh, useful for itself. It's not wait. It doesn't waste. Uh, things make sense in in that. Just like you were talking about with yeah. with with the numbers having to to make sense. There's not a lot of waste in that sense. A lot of the things that we call waste, I don't know, you would know more, obviously, later on mm -hmm. as we l learn more, dark matter being one of these things we find out, or, or junk DNA, that's another good one, right? We're going to find out possibly, you know, oh, it has some sort of meaning, it has some sort of under uh, something we didn't understand, something that we can, mm -hmm. you know, now utilize, or et cetera. So I find that also uh, incredibly interesting. But... Uh, I do, everybody here is going to be dying to go figure out where and, and how to, I know you have an awesome YouTube channel, uh, where you can delve into this. Obviously we'll link to the books, uh, yeah. and to about that, about that course but, of learning how to, to, yes. to uh, get into yes. consciousness, go to, mm -hmm. uh, MBT events, www.mbtevents.com. Those are the people that do all my programs and so on, and and uh, they're we'll the ones that put it. it out on a on a server. It's on Soundwise server, so uh, okay. you can go there and and they'll have all the stuff for sale and that kind of stuff. So you can get there through okay. my website too. But I also we'll encourage yeah. all of your listeners to go through the other the, the other uh, video we did, the other podcast, because a lot of we'll background that, that I didn't that I didn't you know say here is there. 
And without the background, a lot of the stuff I say sounds kind of crazy. You know, but if you uh, have the background no. and you really understand it, it actually makes really good sense. But without Absolutely. the background, it sounds like, <laughs> what's that guy smoking? You know, it's, uh, it's new. It's really, new information. Really far out. We will we will link to it, and obviously we're gonna be, we're gonna create some shorts and different things around it too. So uh, we'll make sure that everybody has a perfect understanding, uh, maybe even in certain things in in where it's where it's necessary. But uh, like I said, we will link to everything. Everybody who's is going to have a whole lot. I love uh, delving and diving deep into into your world because you always, I mean, you learn so much, and then you have to go experience it. So. <laughs> Thanks uh, once again, obviously, uh, for taking the time. And uh, Okay. Well, Will, thank you for inviting me. Uh, I always enjoy these conversations with you. So uh, if your listeners really uh, you know, get excited about it, then we'll do it again. Love it. Uh-huh.